0: Good morning, welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the award-winning Rainbow Radio, The Real Gay Agenda, the only gay-themed program of its kind in the Carolinas. As a weekly program for gay and straight people, by gay and straight people, and it's presented by the Harriet Hancock Community Center. I'm your weekly host, Bruce Converse. My co-host this morning has also been our engineer, Adrian Zangrone. Good morning, Adrian.
1: Good morning, Bruce. This morning, our show is being made possible by listeners like you. Those of you out there who have been helping to keep this show on the air with your generous donations and shows of support.
0: This morning we're going to be talking about the Queer Youth Theater, but
1: first let's look at what's happened in the news lately as well as what's coming up. In international news, many countries in the Southeast Asian region are incrementally shifting on LGBT people's rights. In Vietnam, the Minister of Justice has said publicly that rights of same-gender married couples should be recognized. The Philippines Supreme Court has ruled that an LGBT political party has the right to participate in national elections. A Singapore Appeals Court has ruled that the constitutionality of Section 377A of its Penal Code needs to be examined because it discriminates against gay men. Thailand has long been known as the place to go for gender reassignment surgery, and Indonesia's parliament will soon decide to appoint the first openly gay man as commissioner on its National Human Rights Commission. Last February, 363 people applied for the 15 commissioner positions.
0: However, the Malaysian government continues to stubbornly reject the rights of LGBT people. This position reverberates throughout state institutions, encouraging hostility, discrimination, and abuse by state and religious authorities. Last month, a high court judge in one of Malaysia's 13 states struck down a first-ever constitutional challenge brought by four Malaysian trans women who sought the court's protection for being unfairly targeted by Article 66 of that state's Syria law. Article 66 criminalizes men, quote, who dress in women's clothes and behave like women in
1: public, unquote. The four men who work as bridal makeup artists and who identify and dress as women applied for judicial review of Article 66 back in August. They claim that the article violates their rights under Articles 4, 5, 8, 9, and 10 of the Malaysian Federal Constitution, which guarantees personal liberty, non-discrimination, freedom of movement, freedom to express one's identity, and supersedes any local state law that challenges the federal constitution. The lawyer for the four men argued that Article 66 was unconstitutional because it penalized individuals for, quote, an attribute of their nature that they did not choose and cannot change, unquote. The PT
0: Foundation, formerly known as the Pink Triangle Foundation, an HIV-AIDS organization in Malaysia, reports that there are over 10,000 male transsexuals in the country. 70-80% to of them are Malaysian and Muslim, while the remaining 20% are minority ethnicities. Most of these transsexuals do not have gender reassignment surgery because it's too costly and requires travel outside the country. They fear, too, that their families will not carry out the Muslim burial rites if they are not viewed as a man or a woman.
1: Muslim transsexuals can face up to six months in prison from Malaysian Sharia law courts. They are sometimes forced to attend Islamic religious classes when they are pressured to reform and give verbal assurances that they will stop being trans. They are particularly vulnerable to routine arrest and penalized by police and Islamic religious officers who verbally humiliate, physically, and sexually abuse them while in custody. Non-Muslim transsexuals, while not subject to Sharia laws, can be arrested and convicted for disorderly or indecent behavior with penalties ranging from what would be $10 to $30 fines and two weeks to three months in prison.
0: In national news, only 25% of Americans infected with the HIV virus are getting effective treatment, according to a U.S. government report released late last summer, and the youngest patients are the worst off. Scientists worry that the numbers could worsen if states don't broaden health care as called for under the 2010 health care reform law. This report is the first comprehensive look by the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention at who is getting effective treatment. The findings raise more alarm bells as study after study show that treatment can help stop the spread of
1: HIV. Dr. Kenneth Mayer of the Fenway Institute and Harvard Medical School in Boston said in a news conference in late July, quote, the majority of people living with HIV in the US are not on antiretroviral treatment not in stable care. They need to be in care first and then be able to get treatment." The study found that just over a third of HIV patients have steady care, with 34% of African Americans, 37% of Latinos, and 38% of whites.
0: Younger patients are the least likely to be getting the cocktails of drugs that can help keep them healthy and help keep them from infecting others. Just 15 percent of those ages 25 to 34 had the virus suppressed to desired levels, compared to 36 percent of those aged 55 to 64. Only 22 percent of young adults were even given HIV drugs to treat their infection, the CDC found. HIV AIDS has killed 25 million since its first started spreading globally in the early 1980s and more than 33 million people are infected worldwide. About 1.1 million people in the United States have HIV, and the CDC estimates that 20% of them
1: don't even know it. One of the CDC's top AIDS officials, Dr. Kevin Fenton, said in a recent interview, we have to continue to raise the alarm. We have to find that sense of outrage. He went on to say that the same factors are driving high transmission and poor treatment rates among some US groups, such as poverty, a lack of access to adequate medical care, and a lack of education about what causes HIV and what people can do about it. Fenton said that policymakers need to understand that treating people with HIV saves money in the long run. In South Carolina news, On Saturday, November 17th, the Palmetto Transgender Association will hold the annual Transgender Day of Remembrance. It will be held on the north side of the South Carolina capital at Gervain, Maine, starting at 7 p.m. The Palmetto Transgender Association is a statewide nonprofit network of transgender organizations, support groups in Augusta, Charleston, Columbia, Greenville, and Myrtle Beach, and their allies. Stay with us, in just a few moments, we will be talking to the director of programs at the Theater Offensive about queer youth theater. So stay tuned here to Rainbow Radio. Hi, this is Tom Judson. Composer,
2: actor, performer, and former porn star, and you are listening to Rainbow Radio.
1: Welcome back to Rainbow Radio. This morning, we are going to be talking about queer youth theater. And to do that, we have asked the Director of Programs at the Theater Offensive, Boston's premier theater for LGBT performance, Evelyn Francis, to join us. Evelyn has a master's degree in theater education from Emerson College in Boston, Massachusetts, and a Best Certificate in Youth Work. She began working as a teaching artist with the Theatre Offensive's largest program, True Colors, Out Youth Theatre, in 2001, which is a program for LGBTQ youth ages 14 to 22.
0: Evelyn has worked her way up to the position of Director of Programs, where she now oversees and leads long-term visioning and planning for all programs of the Theatre Offensive, and continues to work as the lead teaching artist for True Colors Summer Programming so good morning Evelyn and welcome to Rainbow Radio
2: good morning thank you for having me
0: Uh, first of all give us a little bit of your background where were you born and raised what about your mom and dad any brothers or sisters
2: sure so I was born and raised in Cincinnati Ohio um, and I lived there until I left for college at age 17 My dad grew up in Cincinnati as well, and my mom is actually from a small town in eastern Kentucky called Hazard, Um, so I have an affinity for the south uh, as well as the north. Um, I have one brother and sister. They have houses that they built next to each other in Kentucky where they settled after graduating from college. Um, and I attended Georgetown College in Kentucky and then moved to Boston for grad school uh, at Emerson College in 1999.
1: Where and when and how did your interest in theater first begin?
2: Uh, I have uh, been asked this question quite a bit, and I can trace it back to a moment when I was in fifth grade And my sister was uh, playing Meep in The Diary of Anne Frank. And my parents and I went to see the show. And I had no idea what The Diary of Anne Frank was. I didn't really know a lot about theater. I hadn't experienced it before. And I went, and my sister came on stage as the very pregnant Meep. And she was breathtaking to watch, and from that moment on, I knew that that 's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, I turned to my mom and said, "Can I do this when I get to high school?" and she said, "Yeah, you can do this too and I did when I got to school i um, joined the drama club and continued in the work and continue to this day because of that moment, that breathtaking Mm -hmm. moment where I saw someone that I knew so well be a completely different person. And that just fascinated me to be able to step in the shoes of someone halfway across the country with a completely different life experience mm-hmm. was so fascinating to me.
0: It's interesting how your interest in things develop sometimes over the years and some little thing like that is what triggered it so that's, yeah. a, that's an interesting story. So, uh, Can you tell us a little about the theater offensive and how did it get started and who got the ball rolling for that?
2: Sure, sure. So the theater offensive started in 1989. Um, it, before that, uh, it was a guerrilla street theater troupe called uh, United Fruit Company. And the United Fruit Company was actually a response that our founding artistic director, Abe Rybeck, and many of his friends had to the AIDS epidemic. They were... Um, these, this group of friends was experiencing the devastating effects of the epidemic every day as their friends were dying around them, and they were outraged that no one was speaking out about it. So they took to the streets with the Guerrilla Theater to get the word out and to try to educate the community about the silence, and um, out of that was born the Theater Offensive.
1: How did uh, you first get connected with the Theater Offensive?
2: So um, it's, again, this question comes up a lot because I've been at the theater offensive for so many years, and I would say that my professional path is deeply uh, connected to my own personal path. Um, So when I was growing up in Cincinnati, I did not know one out queer person. Um, And having gone to Georgetown College in Kentucky, it's a small Southern Baptist college, and coming out at a Southern Baptist college is a dangerous business. Um, I knew one other out person in college, and he, freshman year, had human feces smeared on his door of his dorm room and so many hate notes carved into his dorm door that he transferred schools. And that was the only out queer person I knew. There were often teachers were forced out of the closet and immediately fired from school. So I knew that it wasn't safe for me to come out. And like any other queer person in that environment, I took to the bars for support, which, of course, was disastrous. Um, then one day, I, I mean, theater really brought me back in a lot of ways And I realized that if I was going to dedicate my life to theater, that I had to get out of Kentucky um, and get to a community that would support me as a queer person. So that's when I decided to apply for grad school at Emerson. And when I got to Boston, there were youth in high schools in gay-straight alliances, and I just couldn't, couldn't fathom that. It felt like the world had been turned upside down from what I had known and at Emerson you know we had to choose a thesis project and I really felt a genuine curiosity about the experiences of LGBT youth because that phrase queer youth and LGBT youth was not used where I was from those those young people did not exist where I was from and so I decided that my thesis project would be exploring um, a, a collaboration with young people to devise work, um, write work around their own personal experiences, because I was so interested in hearing how, what the differences were in our worlds. Um, I collaborated with the Boston Alliance of LGBT Youth, based here in Boston, and. Um, the young people performed and a bribeck from the theater offensive was in the audience and he came up to me afterwards and said that he really liked my work and that there was a job opening at the theater offensive and he hoped that i would apply and it was a part-time teaching uh, teaching artist position and um... i applied and i got the job and the rest is as they say history <laughs> um... i started um, in 2001, so 11 years later, I'm now the director of programs overseeing mm-hmm. the youth programming, but also the professional programs mm-hmm. of the theater offensive. So, again, my personal life is deeply tied to the professional mm-hmm. part of my life because of the kind of work that mm-hmm. I do.
0: That's a great story. I can't let this pass without asking, but where did the name the theater offensive come from? Who came up with that? <laughs>
2: and the other founders uh, came up with that name. They liked it because it had two meanings. Uh, It's offensive theater, And also theater that's on the offensive rather than the defensive so Mm. they liked that double entendre (laughs) and it always gets questions when when you call some sort of like formal institution and say hi I'm calling from the theater offensive (laughs) people always say well is it offensive theater (laughs) and I have to say well yes sometimes it is
1: (laughs) can you tell us a little bit more about that specific program true colors out youth theater
2: Sure, sure. So True Colors was uh, started in 1994 here at the Theater Offensive, and it came from funding from the Safe Schools program. That the Safe Schools program here in Boston uh, was the attempt to get young people um, support, LGBT young people support in schools. Um, And they needed, they were interested in having an artistic. Side to the Safe Schools program, so there was funding, and um, they approached the Theater Offensive and asked if they would be willing to start an LGBT program um, as part of the Safe Schools program. And um, the Theater or True Colors, rather, uh, True Colors has gone through many different um, structures over the years, and a lot of that is because the youth youth, uh, really steer the programming. But the basics are that True Colors is a program for LGBTQ youth and their straight allies, ages 14 to 22. And the youth participants work in several seasons through the year, several terms throughout the year, the summer, the fall, and the spring, to develop original plays based on their personal experiences. And then they tour these shows to schools, government agencies, community organizations throughout Massachusetts to use their own personal experiences and the plays as a teaching tool for communities that work with uh, young people, so teachers, principals, administrators um, at the government agencies, it's social workers, And uh, in other community organizations, it's the youth workers and other young people across the boards as well. Um, So that's a little bit about True Colors.
0: Okay. This morning we're talking to Evelyn Francis, Director of Programs at the Theater Offensive, Boston's premier theater for LGBT performance. And we'll continue our conversation with Evelyn in just a few moments here on Rainbow Radio.
2: This week's show is brought to you by listeners like you. Rainbow Radio wants to thank all of you for your continuing support. Get a bunch of your friends together and sponsor a show. It's only 200 bucks. However, any amount you can send will be greatly appreciated. If you've never donated or sponsored a show, now is the time to join all of those listeners like you who have already done so. Here's what you have to do. Send your donations or sponsorships made out to Rainbow Radio to Post Office Box 12648, Columbia, South Carolina, 29211. If you've already sponsored or donated, your continued support will also be appreciated. If you like our show,
0: support Rainbow Radio, not only by listening to it, but also by donating or sponsoring to help keep this show on the air. The Human Rights Campaign thought enough of this show to award Rainbow Radio their 2007 Equality Award. Remember, all of our shows are on our website, rainbowradiosc.com. Tell all of your friends not only to listen to our shows, but to join listeners like you. Tell them to sponsor or donate to keep this show on the air, especially if you've never done so before. Thanks again from all of us here at Rainbow Radio for the support of listeners like you. Welcome back to Rainbow Radio. This morning we're talking to Evelyn Francis. She's the director of programs at the Theater Offensive, Boston's premier theater for LGBT performance. And now that we have some background information uh, out of the way, let's uh, look at the new American alliance of queer youth theaters called the Pride Youth Theater Alliance, um, all, all about what, I, what that is all about. And it was created when it did start. Who put the old idea together? Give us a little background of that.
2: So the Pride Youth Theater Alliance um, is an alliance of 14 queer youth theaters and programs from across North America. And the organizations were initially brought together, the leadership were initially brought together by a generous, generous um, fund called the Mukti Fund. And this is a donor, uh, um, sorry, this is a fund for specifically queer youth theater, which for us was crazy. We got a phone call several years ago from uh, the funder, and he said, I would like to fund queer youth theater across the country and in, um, in Canada. And do you know any other queer youth theaters? And I was so skeptical. I thought, oh, yeah, right, sure, <laughs> you want to fund queer youth theater. Okay, here are some of the theaters that I know and so on and so forth. And then I received an email uh, with an RFP, a request for proposals for the Mukti Fund. And I couldn't believe that someone, someone out there, a funder out there, saw a need for funding So specific, Uh, and it's been a couple of years now that we've been um, we've received funds from the Queer Youth Fund uh, at Queer Youth Theater Fund, rather at the Mukti Fund. And in that time, the leadership from each of the organizations that are part of um, the Queer Youth Fund, which there are about fourteen of us across North America. Have gotten together for a retreat for the last three summers, and in that process, we really felt like we wanted to solidify this group um, and really help influence the queer youth theater field as a um, as a an established field and establish some best practices in that field as longtime practitioners.
0: Yeah, I had a chance to meet some of the members of the Mootki Fund. Uh, A couple of weeks ago and it was an interesting interesting conversation we had so
1: where can people find some of these theaters that are in the Alliance
2: oh that's a great question we're all over North America Um, the lot the Alliance actually has one employee Trina Jackson is her name and she's housed here at the theater offensive however the organizations are again all over North America so there's uh, About Face Theater in Chicago, Adverb Productions at the University of New England in Portland, Portland, Maine. There's Pride Cab at Buddies in Bad Times in Toronto, Canada, Dreams of Hope in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Fringe Benefits in Los Angeles, California, the GLBT Community Center of Colorado in Denver, Colorado, Um, the Neutral Zone at Ann Arbor Teen Center in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Youth Aware at New Conservatory in San Francisco, California. Pride Players at the Rose Theater in Omaha, Nebraska. Proud Theater in Madison, Wisconsin. Rainbow Pride in San Bernardino, California. The Youth Performance Experience at Theater Askew in New York, New York. Uh, Us here in Boston, True Colors at Youth Theater. And Creative Action in Austin, Texas. As well, there as there are a few independent artists who are working in Lexington, Kentucky, um, and that's that's the full list. So it really, mm-hmm. from east to west coast, we span the gamut. So we're working very diligently as an alliance to find folks who are interested in doing queer youth theater in the South. Um, so that I hope that listeners um, will consider if this is something that can happen. Mm-hmm. In their, in their area, we would love to be talking with them.
0: Yeah, uh, If you could uh, tell us a little bit more about the Queer Youth Theater Fund, who can apply for a grant, and how do they go about
2: requesting such a grant? Those are great questions, and I uh, think the best thing for folks to do would be to go to the Mukti Fund website and learn more about the request for proposals. So they can go to www.mukti.com, F-U-N-D dot com. So that's www.mukdifund.com for more information.
1: If you hadn't become part of the theater offensive and hadn't become so involved with theater, is there another path uh, that you think you might have taken?
2: So to to imagine my life without theater is very difficult. I actually tried uh, to do work not related to theater, and it wasn't very successful. It kind of felt like I was missing a limb <laughs> when <laughs> I was doing it. Um, so I, I think that no matter what, I would be a youth worker at another theater company, hopefully, and, of course, still advocating for LGBT youth okay. in my work at any organization.
0: Okay. Uh, what do you, as part of the Pride Youth Theater Alliance, Hope to do in the future with this group of queer youth theaters. What's ahead for all these?
2: So we have a lot of work ahead of us because we are an alliance of 14-some organizations. Uh, We are working together on committees to help define what our mission, our values, our vision, and our goals are. So the next year is quite busy just figuring out who we are as an alliance. But we want to find ways to include other queer youth theater practitioners from around the country in the work of PYTA, so not just folks that are part of organizations that want to do this work, but individuals. We are um, often individual directors are contacted by graduate students or folks in doctoral programs to find out how they can continue this research about queer youth theater and the effects of it, and really to help establish best practices. And we want to find ways to to include people in this, in this process. But, again, we're still discovering who we are, so it's going to be a lengthy process to make that happen. And we want to also find a way to gather annually uh, with, with everyone across the country who's, doing this work to share best practices in the field of queer youth theater and to really hold each other to a high standard as artists and activists um, and hold each other accountable for high quality work wherever we are doing it around North America.
1: Is there a website that people can visit to find out more about the Alliance of Queer Youth Theaters?
2: Sure. So. We have a new website. It's under construction, as is the whole alliance, but they can visit www.prideyouththeateralliance.org. And theater is spelled T-H-E-A-T-E-R. So www.prideyouththeateralliance.org.
0: Evelyn Francis, Director of Programs at the Theater Offensive, Boston's premier theater for LGBT performance. Thanks so much for joining us this morning to talk about not only the theater offensive, but also the new Pride Youth Theater Alliance. We wish you and this new alliance nothing but a bright future. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this morning on Rainbow Radio, The Real Gay Agenda. And thanks goes to listeners like you, those of you out there who've been helping to keep this show on the air with your generous donations and shows of support for bringing you today's show. And I'd also like to thank my co-host this morning, who has also
1: been our engineer for these shows, Adrian Zongrohn. Thanks, Adrian. Rainbow Radio would love to hear from you. Please contact us with any show ideas, to share a commentary, suggest a guest, or to let us know what you think about the program. You can do all of that by either sending us an email to scrainbowradio at gmail.com or writing to us at 1108 Woodrow Street, Columbia, South Carolina, 29205. And you can also call and leave a message for us at the Harriet Hancock Community Center. The number is 803-771-7713. You can
0: listen to some of our most recent shows at the website soundcloud.com slash rainbow radio. And if you or any of your friends want to sponsor a show, we can tell you how to go about doing that. Again, that email address is scrainbowradio at
1: gmail.com. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash rainbow radio. There you can read current news, stream new episodes, and you'll be the first to know about all the latest show updates. Or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash rainbow radio SC. This show will continue as long as we have your support. Rainbow Radio is now
0: into our ninth year of being on the air here in Columbia, South Carolina. And I want to continue to thank everyone who's had even a small hand in helping us put this show together over these past years. We couldn't have done the past eight years of this show without you. So continue listening, because in the coming weeks, we're going to be telling you some big news about our show, its future, its format, and its sound. So listen next week when we'll have another great show. And in the meantime, have a terrific and a safe
2: week.